Easter, as I, as I said last week, is one of my favorite days of the year. It's, it's just a, it's a day filled with joy. There we go. <laughs> Easter is a day filled with joy, with peace. Uh, as we hear once again how our sins have been paid for and death has been conquered. And it fills us with joy and peace. But every year on this day, the Sunday after Easter, I'm kind of left with this feeling, this question rolling around in my mind. So what now? What now? Last week we just heard of the resurrection. We just heard our sins are forgiven. Now what? And that's why I'm excited to start 2 Corinthians in this new series. Because in 2 Corinthians, Paul really lays out for us the so what now? Uh, as he weaves into his letter, grace, gospel. Jesus has died, he has risen, he will come again, that's the gospel, and now we serve. And for seven chapters, Paul lays out for us the ways to serve and the different applications within a Christian congregation and within one-on-one ministry. And so that's what we're going to look at for the next seven weeks we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, the first seven chapters. Uh, 2 Corinthians was originally a letter written by Paul to the Corinthian church uh, in Corinth. I've got a map for you here, if you can see it. I'll point things out to you. Um, so Corinth is in Achaia, which is in that green on the left-hand side of your screen. Paul started the, the church in Corinth in 51 AD. Uh, he started it, went there. There wasn't a Christian church at all. He started it up, and there is now a Christian church. He soon leaves. Uh, after a year and a half, he leaves, and soon after he left, there became problems in the church. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians, uh, the first letter, to correct some of those. After he corrects those uh, issues in his first letter, other issues come up, and so he writes 2 Corinthians as he's up in Macedonia, which is just north. He writes it in the fall of 56 A.D. He was supposed to go to Corinth, and his itinerary changed. And the Corinthian church was upset about it. The Christians there were upset, and they started questioning Paul's love for them, his care. Uh, and so he writes 2 Corinthians with three purposes. One, the first seven chapters are how we serve one another how we care for one another, how we forgive one another, and he weaves in the gospel in that. Second part, he's collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem, so he talks about that. And the third part, he has to defend his apostleship uh, because they question whether Paul was a legit apostle or not. We're dealing with the first seven chapters on that save-to-serve aspect. How do we serve one another now that the gospel has taken hold of our hearts? So he's writing from Macedonia to the Corinthians, and in the first chapter here, I'm just going to give you a little uh, preview. He's going to mention Asia, which is that pink section. It's modern-day Turkey. That was, uh, at the time, known as Asia. And so that is what is in play as we start 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 1, Paul deals with a topic that we all wonder about. If Easter's true that God has forgiven our sins, that Jesus died, he rose again, death has been conquered, we have all this joy, why the painful days? 
Why difficulties? Why can't every day just be Easter where it's nothing but joy and happiness and peace? How those women felt on Easter morning as Jesus is standing in front of them just filled with joy and not a care in the world. How come God can't do that for us now every day? Paul addresses that as we look at 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what Paul tells us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. This is how Paul starts his letter, by highlighting God. And notice what he says about God. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. All comfort. No matter what situation in life that you're in, no matter what troubles, no matter what sufferings you're going through, God is the God of all comfort. Are you lonely? God has comfort for it. Are you sad? God has comfort. Are you feeling guilty? God has comfort. Are you worried, scared? God has comfort. No matter what situation you're in, God has the comfort for it. He's the God of all comfort. Why does Paul start this way? Yes, it's good to, to highlight God, but the Corinthians are upset at Paul, remember. They're going through issues, and Paul hasn't come. What Paul wants them to do is get their eyes off of him, get their eyes off of their situation, and put it on the God who can give comfort in any and every situation. Would Paul like to say, I'm coming tomorrow, I'll be there to comfort you? Sure. Would he like to say, you're not going to have any troubles, Corinthians? You're not going to suffer at all? Sure, he would love to say that too, but he can't. But what he can do is point their eyes to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who can comfort them in all situations. Take your eyes off of the false comforts and put them on the one who can give you true comfort. And that leads me to this today. What do you see? I am asking for your participation today. <laughs> what do you see? My daughter Lily's blanket, yes. Uh, it is a pink blanket. 
with pink and blue triangles, you see a blanket, right? But I assure you, this is no blanket. This, my friends, is blanky. <laughs> this is my daughter's blanket. It's blanky, the one that she loves to hold. The one that she needs to have in her hand as we read books before bed. The one that she needs to hold when she's crying. The one that you see her on the monitor, it's the one that she's holding while she's in her crib, sometimes laying there petting it, other times balling it up like this. This is the one that when you hear her rolling around in the middle of the night on the monitor, you look and she's reaching in her sleep to find Blanky. And when she finds it, she brings it nice and close to her because this is her comfort. You may not have a blankie anymore, but we all have blankies, don't we? We have things we turn to for comfort in our troubles and our sufferings. What is the blankie you reach for when troubles and sufferings come into your life? Is it some kind of vice? Alcohol? Drugs? Overeating? Is it porn? What, it, it, when, when troubles and hardships come, do you, do you go to the comfort of your vice? Is it sleep? You don't want to deal with anything. You don't want to deal with the problem. So you're just going to sleep it all away until it just somehow passes and you don't have to deal with it. So you sleep and you sleep and you sleep. Is it working out? When troubles and hardships come, do you go for the familiar blankie of working out to escape your problems? Is it some kind of relationship, relying on someone in an unhealthy way to find comfort? Is it work? Everything else seems to be out of control with your troubles and sufferings, and so work you can control, and so you're just going to work and work and work, because the more you work, the more like you feel like you have control. Is it your own smarts, your own wisdom? Troubles and sufferings come, and so you sit down for the familiar comfort of having a plan. And you sit down, and you figure it out. Notice, not all of these things are bad things, are they? Not all of them are bad. And yet all of them are kind of like this blankie, aren't they? Paul says, put your eyes on God, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, in all of our sufferings. In fact, through Jesus, what does he say about comfort? Through Jesus, our comfort abounds. We don't just have some, we have all we need and some left over. The world, when they look at Jesus, may just see another blankie. They may just see another prophet, another teacher, another good man, but to the Christian, to Paul, to you and me, we see our Savior, through whom all of God's comfort comes to you and me. Paul says, put your eyes on him, the God of all comfort. 
And Paul's not just saying this, but he experienced it. Here's what he tells us, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we, we, indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that we, he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul talks about a time when he experienced what it was like to have your blankie stripped away. He refers to a time in Asia. Uh, we don't really know exactly what Paul's talking about, but more than likely it was recorded for us in Acts chapter 19 when Paul was in Ephesus. Paul started a Christian church there, uh, and he started preaching the resurrection. People became Christian, and everything was going well until an idol maker in town got upset. Why did he get upset? Well, all of these people are turning to Christianity, and guess what that's doing to my business of idol making? It's plummeting. Nobody's buying my statues anymore. And so what's he do? He goes out into the city, causes a huge riot, and the whole city turns on Paul and his friends, and they come out and they surround Paul and his friends, and they start pressuring him, and they get closer and closer. The circle keeps getting closer and closer around them. The whole time, the crowd is shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Artemis is the, uh, the god of Ephesus. And the whole time, for two hours straight, the circle got closer and closer as they are screaming in unison together. In that moment, it didn't matter how persuasive Paul was. In that moment, it didn't matter how logically he could explain things. It didn't matter his apostleship. It didn't matter his track record. All of Paul's comforts, every, all his blankies, gone. The only thing he had was to rely on God. And Paul says, this happened that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who has the power to raise the dead. Paul was in a position where there's nothing he could do. He was down to God and God alone. And what did he find? God is the God of all comfort. And that's your first point today. He is the source of all comfort. There was nothing left but God. And in God, he found his comfort. You know, I'm thankful Lily has this because she gets comfort from it. It's pretty cute seeing her in the middle of the night reach out for it and, and hold it. And she sits on your lap and she says, blankie, and you get her a blankie. And it, I'm glad she has this. But do you know what makes me sad as her dad? Something's going to happen in her life. There's going to come a day when something happens and she turns to this blanket for comfort and it's not going to be there. 
Because that moment can't be comforted by this blanket. She's going to realize that this whole time, this has been empty comfort. It's not true comfort. And in that moment, I hope she knows the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Because He and He alone can comfort her in any and every situation. So my question to you is, when are you going to realize that your blankies can't give you true comfort? What will it take? There'll come a day when all of us realize that what we go to for comfort, our blankies, they don't actually give us comfort. And if we don't know it before then, it'll come when we feel the sentence of death. Either our own or a loved one. In that moment, our blankies can't give us comfort. Only the God who has the power to raise the dead can. Because he has power to do anything and everything. Our blankies can't raise us from the dead, but God can. The question is, can we trust him? Somebody with that much power somebody with the power to raise the dead, power that's unimaginable, is either comforting or absolutely terrifying. Because that power can work for us or that power can work against us. So is he trustworthy? Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he, talking about God, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Can you trust him? Look at how much God loves you. He didn't spare anything to have a relationship with you. He didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us. And that's what the Easter weekend is all about. That's what the Easter message is all about. That's what the Christian message is all about. How much compassion did the Father of compassion have for you? He gave up His one and only Son so that He can comfort you with the message that your sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter how immoral you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. He gave up His Son for you so He can comfort you with the message that your sins are forgiven. He gave up His only Son to death so that His Son could rise from the dead so that He could comfort you with the message that because Jesus lives, you will live. So that your loved ones who die in Jesus will live because Jesus lives. He is a God who comforts you that because of Jesus, there is nothing in, in the way of your relationship. God is not against you. He is for you. He comforts you with the message that because of Jesus, because of Easter weekend, He works all things out for your good including stripping us away of the blankies that we have. Why? So that our eyes turn to Him who has the power to raise the dead. This is why Paul says that God has delivered them from deadly peril and will deliver them again. How can Paul be so confident? Because God has all power. 
He's going to deliver them. And that's true for you too. If you have a broken heart, God can mend it. If you have wounds and are suffering and you need healing, God can heal you. But even if he doesn't, God will deliver you because he has power to raise the dead. Even if it ends in death, God promises he will raise you to life again because he lives, you will live. In fact, the only thing death can do to you is make your life infinitely better. I'll say that again because it's so shocking. The only thing death can do to you is make your life infinitely better. As the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, and the God of all comfort, will bring you to his side in heaven, where you will live and there's no difficulties, no sufferings, no hardships, only love and joy and peace. The love, joy, and peace of Easter morning will be forever. And even that's a pale comparison to what heaven's going to be. It'll be nothing but joy. You see, this is how God comforts us. We have the comfort of our God. We are in His hands, a God who has the power to raise the dead, who is for us, not against us. And that's what Paul knows. That's what the Easter message has done for us. It comforts us. Why? Go back to the beginning. Why does Paul say? So that we can comfort others. And that's your second point. God comforts us so that we may comfort others. God has comforted you and me. He's not against us. He's for us. He's comforted us with the message that our sins have been forgiven. Death has been conquered. That he is working all things. That even if we die, he's going to raise us back to life and we will live because Jesus lives. Now we get to comfort others with that same message. Now we get to serve. As we've heard that we've been saved, we are now saved to serve, and we do that by comforting one another. That's why when, when you come to church here, this isn't just a place where you come to be fed and then leave. This is a place where you come, you're, you're served, you're fed, you're comforted, that you may comfort one another. That's why we call ourselves the Divine Savior family. We treat each other like family. And how do family treat each other? They comfort one another, and they receive comfort from one another. In order to do that, we have to be in each other's lives. And there's difficulties on both ends of this one. It's difficult to be comforted. Because what have we been conditioned to do? Not open up. We don't want people to know the troubles we're going through. We don't want them to know the sufferings we're going through. We want to deal with it on our own. For some reason, when we come walking through that door on Sunday morning, we have to put on a smile on our face, and when asked, how are you, we say, good. When I know many of you aren't good, let your church family comfort you. Let us point your eyes to Jesus. There's nothing that the devil loves more than for you to deal with your troubles and sufferings on your own and not receive the comfort that Jesus gives you. The other side's also a little difficult too, isn't it? 
Because somebody opens up and says, here's the troubles, here's the sufferings, here's the difficulties I'm going through. And if you're like me, a lot of times you hear that and you say, how do I fix this problem? What do I have to say to fix this? Well, here's the good news. The Great Commission is not to go and fix people's problems. The Great Commission is to go and tell people about Jesus. And so you don't have to fix their problems. You listen and you point their eyes to the God the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles and sufferings with the message that our sins are forgiven, the message that the grave has been conquered, that the all-powerful God is on our side and he's working all things out for our good. We point our eyes, their eyes to him who loves us and did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. This is what we do. We, we've been comforted so that we comfort. We point our eyes off of our blankies and we point them to their Savior Jesus. And as we do, that message will spread and we will have comfort and we will give comfort as we are saved to serve. God bless us as we do this this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. No matter what we're going through, you have comfort for it. And we thank you for comforting us that because of Jesus, we know without a doubt that you are for us, not against us, uh, that you love us, you've forgiven us, that death has been conquered, and that we now rest in your hands and we rely on you, who has the power to raise the dead. And that's exactly what you did at Easter. Because of that, we know that we've been declared innocent in your sight, and that we stand forgiven and dearly loved. Uh, Lord, many of us have struggles. Many of us are hurting. Many of us are suffering. Uh, I ask you to give us a spirit of openness uh, and trust. Help us to trust one another that we may open up and, and let our church family pray for us. Help us who listen to those who are going through issues and, and difficulties. Let us receive them with love, with grace, and then point their eyes back to you, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, because you have comfort no matter what we're going through. We thank you for comforting us. Help us to comfort one another this week. In your name we pray.